Welcome back to the podcast episode, lucky number seven, Adam. I'm Kieran. My name's Kieran. I am a nutrition coach and a white belt under Adam Childs, black belt, Alliance Sydney, who's sitting across from me, Adam. What's that, brah? What's that? Uh, <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> this will be edited out. We'll start again. <laughs> What's up, guys? My name's Kid. No. Uh, so in today's episode, if you listen to episode number six, it, it's an awesome uh, account of a very shortened account, uh, even though it was, it was about an hour-long podcast, but it was an account of Adam's time in Brazil where yep, he lived, training trained. in Brazil, jiu-jitsu grind. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, the episode was over an hour or whatever, but mm. could have could talk. It feels like decades could talk about the things that live there for five years. You talk about it for ten. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. So uh, at the end of that episode, if you if you caught the end of that episode, we said that episode number seven, uh, we have a Q and A, and we we put out to the audience to submit questions for the Ask a Black Belt segment that we're, we're doing for Lucky Episode 7. So we got some awesome responses here. We we um, curated the list. Thank you, for every, first of all, thank you to everyone who submitted a question. We really appreciated it. Uh, we curated a list of four questions that we have, awesome questions here from um, ranging from white belt to purple belt. So we have a um, pretty wide demographic here of experience and some excellent questions to ask a black belt. Oh man. <laughs> Pressure's <I> on. <laughs> so. Uh, let me, hang on, let me just get my Google open in case I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the trust the old Google on the fly. So first- do you reckon like when you hear like, I don't really listen to the radio, but if I'm in the car, like no the, one listens to the radio, yeah. man. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Apparently, a lot more people are listening to the radio, really nowadays or at the moment. Those like, people should listen to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but anyway, uh, I'll have the radio on because it just comes on when I when I get in the car, and um, yeah, when there's like sort of they have like little quizzes or whatever where mm. you know callers can win four or five hundred bucks or something like that. I'm always like. Don't, aren't you just taking this phone call in front of your computer so yeah. <laughs> like you could just Google the an- the question and the yeah. answer? Like, I mean, some of the 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 radio stations aren't stupid. Like, most of the quizzes are, you know, difficult you, to Google straight away. Well, yeah, like you have to, you know, answer these ten questions in, in thirty seconds, in 30 yeah. seconds or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, but as a generalization, I'm like, why don't you just like Google? The well, question? did you see? This is an aside. I swear we'll get into the jujitsu soon. But did you see? <laughs> It's super old now, but it's really viral video. Um, back when the the first guy to win, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? He mm. cheated with a similar sort of system. There was someone in the crowd, oh where yeah, would, yeah, like, yeah. was giving him cough cues. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've and then, seen that. Then he won, and then like that night, they noticed that in the hotel room that they put him up in or whatever, uh, he was having a massive argument with the woman he was with, like his partner at the time, yeah. and. Um, and they were thinking, hang on, you just won a million dollars. Why aren't you celebrating? Why are you arguing? And the argument was that he went too far. He, sh- he The plan was for him to stop at like 500,000 or something like that. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, so for it to not to be sus, but, you know, they got cocky and went too far and he, and he took the million and then they they pinned him for it and he lost everything. And Yeah, right. Yeah, I, so. It's funny you say that because not that long ago, I only know the, the story you just mentioned because – not that long ago, I watched a random YouTube video that was something like, you know, top 10, you know, cheaters getting caught or something like that. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and that one came up and I can't remember any of the other ones, but man, people can be super creative, super clever. Oh, yeah. Some of the ones are a bit outdated now, like people cheating in ways that aren't possible nowadays due to technology, mm. you know, or vice versa, ways that people cheat nowadays that wouldn't have been possible Duty technology. Yeah, yeah, there was one, there was um, uh, an Olympian that cheated in- um, Talking in about f- the Russians? <laughs> Steroids. <laughs> uh, what's that, that movie called? Icarus? Icarus, yeah. So, so good. Yeah. You know, I sat there, if, if anyone listening hasn't watched Icarus, highly, like it's- It's on uh, Netflix? Is it still on yeah, Netflix? It's still on Netflix. It's yeah. an Academy Award winning, right? Documentary. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time. Does he fuck that dude? <laughs> We're bleeping that out. Uh, Joe Rogan <laughs> is our Lord and Savior. No. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's so so good. It's um, 
I sat down to watch it just thinking it was a generic cycling slash Lance Armstrong documentary, steroid mm. documentary. And, um, you know, I just like watching documentaries a lot of the time regardless of the subject. And then I had no idea like what I was sitting down to watch. Oh, and wow. That it, yeah. And that it went into all like the the whistleblower and the Russian mm. doping in the Olympics and what the he Russians the and KGB. That, like, yeah. man, such, such a good documentary. Really good if, if you're into documentaries and, and you haven't seen Icarus, mm. man, get on it. Yeah. So good. Um, how did we get onto that subject? Let's not even worry about it. So the first question. <laughs> <laughs> the first question. I feel like I had a great anecdote. You did, know. but <laughs> there will be another anecdote from Analogy Adam. Wait, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. The Olympics, the cheating in the Olympics. Oh, that's right. There was a guy who, um, who because you know how in fencing – it's or maybe you don't know this, but in fencing, it's all um, like they have sensors in the yes in yep. the what are they called sabers or I think yeah. the, or I think depending on the pokey stick yeah <laughs> pokey stick I think depending on the category mm. of the fencing category potentially has different names but that's all there has sensors and electronics and everything to register if it's a hit or yes. not because it can be milliseconds right yes it's all about you know I don't believe the 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 sport is based on this like, oh, I would have killed you and been fine. It's like, oh, I stabbed you a millisecond before you would have stabbed me. We yeah. both did. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, yeah, brilliant. and he essentially rigged the the sensors and the setup and everything and so he was able to override oh, wow. like, okay. the, the official system. So his hits were registering before or hits were registering that shouldn't have registered. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the details. Holy moly, wow. But it's like, you know, a way of cheating that wouldn't have existed 20 years ago, right? Well, the problem with that is it's all on film, so they can slow it down and see, hang on a minute. Well, yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah, I don't even know the details of, of how we got caught. One that you probably more, more versed in, Kieran, is the one where the, the Jamaican bobsled coach put, put uh, weights in the front of the sled. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> remember the, we were talking about it the cool other runnings, day. Cool yeah. runnings. Yeah. And you don't remember in the movie? No, cool runnings? Man. Oh, like the, the, the I watched it in high school. We had a <laughs> we had a teacher, and I swear we'll get into the jujitsu soon. I keep saying that, but we had this like history teacher that was, you know, maybe he wasn't the best. So he, you know, he would play cool runnings at least to our class at least three times a year. You just wheel in, you know, when we had those so wheeling wheel TVs, TV. yeah. When he'd I was wheel in the TV, chuck on, and would all scream cool runnings, and you'd put it on. And dude, so good. Like such a I didn't realize it as a kid. Like I didn't realize that when it was like a, a video class that the teacher was just phoning it in. I didn't realize that. But when yeah. I was, when I was living in Brazil teaching English, I was like, yeah, video classes, bro. That's yeah. how you phone it in. That's yeah. when you're like, yeah. But oh. anyway, they, they find out that their coach in Cool Runnings previously had gotten busted for cheating by putting weights in the front of the bobsled to uh, make it heavier. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Well, there you jiu-jitsu. go. Okay. Jiu-jitsu. I swear we're, we're getting into jujitsu now. So ask a black belt. We we put out the we put out the call and the call was answered. So the first question we have here is from Anthony, who is a blue belt, and asks, "What should each belt, effectively from from white belt to black belt, be focusing on?" So what should each belt be focusing on throughout their jiu-jitsu journey? I mean, it's a pretty loaded question. Like, um, you know, you could spend a long time answering that question. I think. I mean, I'll, yes, I will answer that. I'll, I'll say what I think you should focus on on each belt. But I think more importantly than what each belt should focus on is you need to ask yourself what goal are you trying to achieve? So ignore the belt for a second, right? But uh, your personal goal is going to kind of dict- dictate what your goals are or objectives should be at each belt. So if your goal is to be, you know, a very high-level competitor and potentially win world championships and super fights and all that, your 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 belt goals would be slightly different to someone who is, a, you know, a, a full-time, you know, doctor or lawyer or something and train like your casual your yeah casual you're just someone who yeah who trains once player. or twice a week just for some fun to de-stress after a hard day or if you're someone who wants to open a gym and be mm. an instructor right so that's the first thing right? so does let's, that make sense yeah do you want to for the ease of this do you want to assume that we're addressing the the masses here like and well, yeah s- someone like uh 
Anthony that, you know, he trains fairly regularly, he's passionate about jujitsu, but has other things. He isn't trying to pursue it as a, as a professional yeah, athlete. I, well, I mean, I've actually, I mean, I, Anthony is, you know, is one of my students, one of your training partners. Uh, I've actually never had that direct conversation with him, but, um, but Anthony does have other things going on in the sense that, um, you know, he has a full-time job. Mm. He's a uni student as mm. well, yet he still trains um, like five to six mm. days a week, yeah. like often twice a day. He does every single competition. The last competition, Anthony was the first one there, the last to leave, did mm. every single division. So I've actually never sat down and had the conversation about, look, man, are you wanting to make a career through jiu-jitsu or are you just frothing on it till you graduate? You, I don't know. But anyway, let's just assume for the masses, like you said. Obviously, would start at white belt, right? Um, I mean, what you should focus on as a white belt, in my opinion, is assuming you, you're not coming from another, you know, a white belt that did was a Division One wrestler in college, a bit different, right? But if you're just a, a white belt, you've never done jiu-jitsu before, okay? I think first and foremost is learning and understanding some of the core movements in a safe way, right? It seems obvious to say it when and when you already train, but we take for granted that brand new people don't often don't know how to do a back roll or a forward roll, right? Without rolling over their neck and straining their neck or or hurting their spine or something like that, right? So as a white belt, I think it's super important to firstly focus on some of the fundamental movements and be able to execute them in a safe way because the amount of times white belts get injured training with other white belts, man, it happens all the time. And a lot of the time they injure themselves, right? Because, you know, not because of they, – they just don't know better, right? Mm. And you could, you could even be a fit, healthy, athletic white belt, but you come into the gym, your first jiu-jitsu class and – you know, you try to do some particular movement that your body can do, but all of a sudden you're trying to do that movement in a weird contorted way because it's jujitsu and it's incredibly dynamic and you've got 80 kilos on top of you and then you strain your own back or something like that, right? Um, right. So we're, we're focusing on the fundamentals and injury prevention at, at White Belt for the future, setting, setting yourself up for the future. Yeah, I think that's super imp- – yeah, I really do think it's important. Like – I mean, as I want to see the growth of the sport and having someone seriously injure themselves in their first month of training. That's not good for long. It's very easy sport, for people yeah. to be like, nah, nah, this sport, I'm out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which I have a friend that's that's in that exact situation. He injured do, himself. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, so Zach, Zach right? Yeah, my, my, uh, my friend and business partner, Zach, he injured his shoulder um, with – uh, in jujitsu, he was just pushed over, landed landed wrong um, on on the back of his on back of his shoulder. He's he's rolling with a blue belt at the time, and um, yeah, he he requires surgery now. And that was in his first couple of months of training. Yeah. Like, uh, arguably, the the blue belt was being a bit too rough with him, or or whatever, c- considering how just just how junior he was. But I suppose that's the issue with being a and maybe a conversation for another day. Being a big, strong, like very athletic guy coming into it, but with no skill. Uh, rolling with someone that's a lot smaller but with a lot more skill. And uh, I suppose that this this particular blue belt, that, that his compensation for that was to, you know, put a bit of smash on. Yeah, so, I mean, look, and I think that's – I mean, you've just made me think it's worth mentioning as well. Like I didn't want to spend this long talking about safety, but, you know, number one priority is your own safety, like as a white belt. You're not a established purple or brown belt in – competition roles where you're rolling with an equally skilled partner and you know things are more or less safe Mm. right so if someone if you're brand new to the sport you you know and someone's going what by your definition is too hard too aggressive Mm. or whatever you know just tap out you know like and that you might be tapping out and because it's not for you so what i mean is like let's say you're a white belt and you're rolling with another white belt even yep. and it's too much for you and you yeah. tap out and ask them to stop yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I I've mean, had I've had white belts do that. Like uh, context, I am a white belt, but 
Um, you know, I've had brand new people off the street where maybe we're doing a, a role, you know, I'm letting them work and then I reverse the position and they're like, nah, I'm out. Like, yeah. I'm, so, I'm not comfortable anymore. Yeah. So um, because some people you don't know, right, when mm. people are brand new to the sport, for all you know, that person who's trying jiu-jitsu may have chosen to try jiu-jitsu because they have issues with personal space and they're yeah. trying to work on it. Yeah, or that person might have chronic claustrophobia and then you're, you know, like you, you don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, if you tap out because it's too much for you, I mean, maybe you need a slight reality check and maybe the person you were going with wasn't even going hard and it turns out just for you, jiu-jitsu, like it's not for you. It's been right? intense. It, it could be the case. But, um, you know, if it is let's say in Zach's situation, if it was a, a blue belt trying to put smack on you, well, man, that's like a whole nother issue. That's yeah. like, a, a, in my opinion, that's not the correct culture for a gym. And that yeah. responsibility falls on the instructor. Should if send you, in the mad enforcer. <laughs> like if you come into, into, into our gym, man, like- They're going to smash you. <laughs> <laughs> I can- I'm kidding. I can have, and I trust every single one of my students, like- even the, even the toughest, most unfriendly – no, we have no one unfriendly, but even like the super tough active competitors, I know that they can – I don't even have to say anything to them, that if they're with a, a you know, a one-week-old white belt, that they're going to look after them and One week old safe. is in jiu-jitsu, we're not yes. bringing it in. <laughs> <laughs> we're yes, not, not smashing in babies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I happen, it's happened all the time. I've had like particularly girls come in and be worried and I know that that – big what what looks like a big intimidating unfriendly person right Kieran <laughs> you know I know that I can put them with that little 50 kilo girl who's a bit like unsure about you know and I know they're going to look after them you mm. know I know that I can put you because I don't let my students get into that oh I need to smash this new person to feel good but anyway so let's I Again, I spent a bit too long rambling about safety, but super important that you learn the fundamental movements so you can execute them without hurting yourself yep. and, and look after yourself, right? Because when you're new, you don't know if the instructor has your best interests at heart yet, right? If, if you've just walked into a random gym, you haven't been recommended by someone, you don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe the dude is just like sink or swim. But then moving on from that, white belts can get lost very easily, and understandably, jiu-jitsu is incredibly complicated and dynamic. To simplify it, I like to give this advice. I go, there's five core positions in jiu-jitsu. If we ignore, sta ignore stand-up for now, right? Everyone oh, does anyway. Yeah, everyone does anyway. No, let's include stand-up then. There's six positions, right? But anyway, there's stand-up. But on the ground, which is the more confusing part for new people, there's five core positions. Mm -hmm. You've got close guard half guard, side control, mount, and back control, right? Obviously, there's then so many iterations of those five positions. But they're the five core positions. Each position has a top and bottom, right? So you have 10 core positions. Okay? You can be in someone's close guard or they're in your close guard. So if you could aim, like if you're someone who needs something tangible in terms of like tangible knowledge to not be lost – if you work towards finding, memorizing or learning 10 techniques, one for each position. So if you knew a technique from when you're in someone's close guard and you know a technique for when someone's in your close guard. If you know an attack from mount and you also know a way to escape mount, right? It's only 10 techniques you need to memorize. So then when you're rolling, you may not be able to execute that technique but at least if someone takes your back, you know a back escape, right? Uh, you're not going to be there going, I have no idea what to do. Mm. You at least know what you're trying to do, whether you can do it or not, right? Same as if you take your opponent's back, you know? You, you know, people will take someone's back and like, but now what do I do, right? We often take for granted that we're like, dude, choke them, right? Yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, new people don't, don't know that, yeah. right? But if they've learned a choke or whatever, you know, a collar choke, a rear naked choke, like whatever the technique they've learned is, Okay, they might not be able to do it because their partner's defending, they but can at, least at least they work toward it. Yeah, at least they know the objective of what they're trying to do. You know, opposed, you know, when you see like 
you're watching like a kid's little league game and the guy gets – the kid gets the ball and then he runs the wrong way. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, so for, for summary, for white belt, you want to first and foremost focus on the safety aspect of the fundamental movement. So we mentioned forward roll, back roll. Another fundamental movement would be know, the hip escape. Hip escape, technical, technical stand, stand up, up, sprawl, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, I, have a ki- I had a kid who um, who – Again, we take a lot of this stuff for granted until it either goes wrong or if someone, you know, preemptively te- teaches us these yeah. things. Um, I, I had a kid years ago who did a sprawl and um, instead of putting his palms flat on the mat, his like thumb was sticking out. So instead of like all the fingers facing forward, his thumb was backwards, right? And so when he, when he did the sprawl, he broke, broke his, his thumb, thumb yeah. you know? Um, and I see adults do that yeah. as well. Right. Um, particularly, I've had adults do it who come from a yoga background because there'll be yoga movements where you put your thumb in that position. Ugh. But anyway, sorry to sorry to. Yeah. Interrupt. So that that's first and foremost. Once you have that down pat, then you want to move on to your fundamental positions. So the yeah, five. I, ignoring stand up, you had the five fundamental positions, yeah. and if you understand one technique from each of those, that's ten techniques to work toward, and you know get competent with those. And that's a good foundation. Yep. So you have something to work towards in in every position in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yep. and then and then to 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 wrap that all up, I would then say you want to be able to to connect those positions. Okay. It's super important for beginners to learn as well to connect like a guard pass to side control and then connect side control to mount or connect it to a submission or whatever. Yeah, and then connect mount to the sub yep. or, or what have you. So to work. To uh, through the hierarchy position hierarchy of positions to water sub, yeah, yeah, cool. Blue belt. So blue belt, uh, you know, known as being kind of the hardest belt, arguably. Um, so I'll try be a bit quicker because we want to get through all these questions before it's a two hour long episode. Mm. But um, and we're still on question one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for blue belts, I would start to focus on understanding control of positions a little bit more and some again i'm calling it fundamental but like they start to become more advanced but starting to to learn opposed to specific techniques really starting to grasp with concepts right because if you can then sort of understand Again, I keep saying the word fundamental, but if you then can start to understand like fundamental concepts. So to give you an example, things like with guard retention, you know, fundamentally keeping your knees into your shoulders, not extending your guard away and opening your your the space, you know, in your midsection. Uh, you know, if you're talking about leg locks, the fundamental importance of, of controlling the, the knee line, line and, yeah. and things like that. I would start to really become comfortable with the understanding the bigger picture of certain techniques and and positions right so the the understanding there if you don't necessarily have the finer detail of put hand here to do this you can at least work toward uh controlling or working toward the the larger concepts so like working within that thigh region for a, a heavy chest Base pass yeah, and yeah, or and like you know, keeping the back, understanding that you know it's how you control the shoulders and keep yep. back exposure and you know yeah, th- things okay. like that. Okay, purple belt. So I think purple belts when when you can really start finding your individual game, your your individual style. Of course, it can change a lot, right? Like it could you could change it at brown or or black belt or you'll speak to active successful competitors who they're like, oh, I've been doing this since blue belt and, you know, it's never changed for them. But um, as a generalization, purple belt's a good time. You know, you tend to know enough and find the style that you enjoy or that you're good at, whether it's a, a guard player or a, or a passer or, you know, what types of passes do you like or what, what types of passes do you have a knack for? You know, I think purple belt's a, a, a good time to really start focusing on on the sort of jiu-jitsu fighter you want to be. Again, that can change, right? Like, example is, you know, Marcelo Garcia, one of the best of, of all time, you know, known for really good, 
no gi as well as gi. Like he's a world champion um, in the gi as well, but uh, you know, really successful at ADCC and things like that. He never really even did no gi until brown belt. So it, it can still change. But as a generalization, purple belt's a good time that you, you have enough tools at your disposal that you can really make an educated decision and start putting things together on your own. Right. Whereas prior to that, a lot of it is, I don't want to say spoon fed to you, but you just don't have enough yet to, to be able to build your own sort of uh, jujitsu, if that makes sense. Right. So it's, it's a time to explore potentially looking at a specialty or to put, yeah. put a bit yeah. of energy toward like a certain area and be yeah. very good at, at that area understanding that you have a strong foundational core understanding of concepts, core understanding of, of positions and, and obviously the basics. Yeah. Okay. Brown belt. Brown belt. So I think, uh, yeah, brown belts are a good time that you can, you can adjust like the, the game that you've been developing or you can redefine it. But I think it's also a good time to, to start learning how to teach jujitsu uh, some people learn how to do that beforehand. Some people never learn how to do it. But I just, you know, the the old saying of you learn a lot when you teach, whatever it is, even if it's not jujitsu, just any subject, mm. you learn a lot when you start teaching. I think it's important, at least for me and the side of jujitsu that I, that I'm into, which is which is really understanding it and geeking out on it a little bit. I think it's important to understand how to teach and why you teach because that also helps you understand, you know, how you learn and why you learn in, and, you know, and why you teach certain things in certain ways, you know, why you teach beginners sequences instead of combinations and, and, and things like that. I, I think brown belt's a good time, especially if you're someone who wants to open a gym, right? Of course, then, then you should probably have been learning how to teach a bit earlier do you think now i from my understanding some people some black belts out there some uh, you know masters of jiu-jitsu have the the requirement that they're in order to be awarded a black belt under them you at brown belt you need to teach you have to yeah teach. Those, yeah some people have that you know there's there's no big governing body, right, that dictates it. Mm. Uh, we spoke about it when we talked about jiu-jitsu being in the Olympics or not. You know, judo's different, has a big international, like, the organization. Uh, jiu-jitsu doesn't have that. You know, we have the IBJJF that have certain requirements that a lot of people follow, but other people don't. A lot of don't. people don't. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are – you could never – you could. there's no way you could deny them being a black belt, but – IBJJF wouldn't recognize them as a black belt because they just don't tick their their requirements. But mm. IBJJF is just an organization, right? Um, so, and individual gyms do the same thing. Uh, for me and for where I came through with Fabio, uh, there was no, like, you didn't have to do some sort of test to get your black belt. You would do tests for your other belts and it wasn't like, it was just a way to make sure that you're up to speed. Do you really know what you're doing? You know, uh, are you just able to execute it because you're a natural or do you actually understand that, you know, you can do this submission from this position? But at black belt, it's something different, right? Like it's 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 more than when, – when an instructor is giving you a black belt, it's more than, you know, you should already know all that stuff by the time you got your brown belt. Like it's just something – there's something else. So you would never do anything for it. Whereas I know other gyms, I, um, they do almost like not, not a gauntlet as in how people line up and whip you with the belt, which is a silly practice, by the way, but like a sort of thing where, you know, the people who are grading for their black belt, it's like two hours of nonstop yeah. rolling. Yeah, and, I think you know, I've, I've seen a, a few YouTube videos on that where they're, you know, they're just getting smashed for two hours and the, yeah. the poor guys. Like so, I mean, that's up to the individual gym. Some individual gyms or organizations, uh, I've heard of that a lot. You know, you have to teach or whatever. Um, so if that wants to be a requirement, yeah. But I just think it's an important learning tool, right? But if we ignore the teaching for a second, um, Brown Belt, again, is a, is a good time to really be, be um, you know, re refining your game, right? Uh, if, if you're talking about, 
people who are a bit more IBJJF orientated. I mean, brown belt is when a lot of the leg locks become available that aren't available at lower belts. So if we're talking in the IBJJF world, I mean, you should have been working on that at purple belt, actually, sorry, like if in preparation for your brown belt, but, um, you know, that's something to, to consider as well. Okay, and finally, black belt, what are you working on? What are you focusing on? I think black belts when you when you realize you still suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the I think the cliche thing is like that it's you know, never uh, the journey begins at black belt or something like that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's an awesome achievement when I got my black belt. I was super stoked. I'm still stoked with it, but you know, it's just Obviously, I'll be a black belt for the for the rest of my life. So as time goes on, like you end up being a black belt for longer than you are colored belts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. in that regard, what am I working on? Just the constant evolution of, of, of my jujitsu, right? And, uh, and you know, it's going to depend on your situation. For me, I'm constantly looking to improve my, my teaching methods, constantly trying to improve the way I – I get through to my students, the way I structure my classes, me as an individual, uh, you know, uh, Fabio's on the other side of the world to me. I do a lot of uh, self-study. So I will do, um, whether it's just drilling with a opponent, like a partner, trying to uh, problem solve techniques or positions, whether it's watching instructionals, whether it's watching competitive jujitsu and, and learning from that, whether it's calling Fabio or other other competitors, instructors that I know and asking them specific questions. But, you know, it's a never-ending pursuit of knowledge, right? Mm. Uh, I think jiu-jitsu is similar to – not similar, but it's like if, you, if you're a doctor, right, you never stop learning because technology changes, medicine changes, right? Like, you know, they don't, they don't cut you open for an appendectomy anymore. Mm. You know, it's keyhole surgery. Like, you know, you know if you – yeah, so you have to – it's like a lawyer, right? Laws constantly change. If you, if you just think like, I'm a black belt, I don't have to do anything anymore. No. Yeah, right? then you won't be a very good one, hey? Yeah. So just constantly just understanding you'll be a, a student of jiu-jitsu forever. Awesome. That was a really comprehensive answer. And thank you again, Anthony, for submitting that question. Next question we have next. from <laughs> – Next question is from Oliver. Ollie is a purple belt and he asks, do you ever have a point – where you went from where you went from thinking you were shit at jujitsu to not being to, to being not shit at jujitsu. If so, at what belt did you reach this point and why? So did you ever go from uh, thinking that you were shit to thinking that you weren't shit anymore? <laughs> or do you think still think you're shit? I still think I'm pretty shit. Um, I agree, you are pretty <laughs> shit. Look, yeah, that's a it's a tough question. I I mean I think you have to be okay with the fact that there will always be someone better than you. There's even when you're a world champion, there'll be someone better than you at some point, right? Someone will always take you out. You can't be the best forever. Um, so I think that's important to be okay with. But when did I probably? I mean, when we – last episode we were talking about my time in Brazil and when I first started training there as a blue belt with the competition team, it was quite a shock, like, how much I was getting my ass kicked. I would almost cry leaving the gym. I think maybe towards the – mid towards the end of my, my blue belt days, like, I was very, very clearly one of, if not the best blue belt in the gym, you know, and we're talking at the time the – the most successful competition, not just team, but gym in the world. You know, I pretty much won every competition I did in Brazil. Like I um, meddled at the pans, unfortunately didn't win. You know, like I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm amazing, but, you know, the, the evidence was there, right? But some of it just comes down to your own, your own belief, in yourself, even when even when I, I stayed a blue belt for ages from Fabio, you know, for for years, people would be like, "Man, he's gonna give you your purple for sure." How long were you blue belt for? I mean, compared to other people, not that long, like two and a half years. But, but you were training full time, like yeah. full full time. Yeah, you know? it was your career at that. Yeah. Point. Um, 
and then even when I got my purple belt, I was like, oh, do I really deserve this? You know, so I think that's to some degree is, is normal. But if you're really unsure, there's kind of – if there's only really one way to find out, right, and it, it's, it's to compete, I think, really. If you're really unsure that if you're shit or not shit – the only way to really test it is is on the mats in a competitive environment, you know. If that's not your thing because you've just – maybe you're – you know, I have another student who's like 65 years old, right, uh, you know, recovering from, from prostate cancer surgery. <laughs> okay, <laughs> probably doesn't want to go compete, right? As, so, you know, how can you justify yourself? Well, there's the, the knowledge of jiu-jitsu as well. Like, you know, if I put – if I put that student through a whatever belt test exam, like would they know the answers to the questions, right? Do you have faith in the person who is grading you? So, you know, if you don't trust your coach, your instructor, then you're constantly going to question if you're any good. If you trust your coach, right? Like, you know, I always trusted Fabio. Even when I got my purple belt and I had a moment of like, oh, do I really deserve this? Like, no, I know I deserve it. There's no way Fabio would give out a fake purple belt yeah because if you extrapolate from that if you don't think you deserve it and your coach does then you're right you're not trusting them and you're almost challenging their decision or challenging their judgment maybe you could you could put it like that yeah um but for me personally yeah it was kind of towards the 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 mid to end of my of my blue belt journey when i went from getting demolished by everyone in the gym to you know i could was starting to to give a hard time to to the purple, brown belts, even some of the black belts, you know. Okay, I'm not saying I was better than the black belts as a blue belt, but I could I could start to give them tough roles. But, man, there will always be someone who, who can smash you. And then now I'm a black belt who, you know, um, I often bring up Levi because Levi and I spent a lot of time training together as purple and brown belts. Um, you know, whenever we get together, you know, Levi just makes me look like a white belt again, you know, using – incredibly talented talented athlete so they'll 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 always be someone who can smash you so <laughs> so you know you got to be okay with that so to summarize you felt maybe you weren't shit when you got pebble belt <laughs> yeah yeah maybe yeah <laughs> yeah there'll always be someone who'll make you feel shit and if you do the your advice to that person would be to get out and compete and uh and yeah get out get out and compete bro and you know it, and if, if you're really unsure about yourself, I mean, if you've got a good coach, sit and talk with them, you know, yeah. like maybe you need, I think a good coach should, instructor should be able to offer you some, um, you know, more than just teaching you jujitsu techniques. They should be able to help you with, I don't want to say life coaching, but, you know, help you with your thought processes and things like that. So talk to your coach if you're super unsure. Yeah, that's, that's good. So thank you, Oliver, for that question. Next question, question number three comes from Ian. Ian is a white belt and he asks, when traveling and visiting different gyms, is there anything a lower belt should do, expect, know, or be aware of? So what's the etiquette when traveling and visiting another gym? This is a tough one, not because it's hard to answer, but it's tough because a lot of the things you should know uh, aren't, directly taught they're indirectly taught just by spending time in a gym uh so you know by the time you learn them you're usually then not a lower belt anymore i you've but i'll, I'll mention some of them now uh if you're in a rush you could watch a youtube channel i saw that, yeah um, yeah there's almost like <laughs> there's a uh kieran lefebvre youtube funny. video about visiting gyms yeah kieran did a youtube um video on this but you received a lot of comments telling you yes. stuff that you didn't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I constantly get I constantly get uh, comments from people, white belts or higher belts around the world, um, just basically informing me of different. Anytime I do a video mentioning etiquette or or not even that, just anything random that I've experienced with with. I mean, I've spoken about this before. Um, but a prime example is asking higher belts to roll. I did a I did a YouTube video yeah. about tr- selecting training partners to progress your jiu-jitsu from a white belt's perspective. 
And uh, I got corrected to say that, you know, that's an etiquette thing. You can't ask you can't, higher belts yeah. to roll. Another one that I Because you didn't know, right? Because I don't no. really influence that at the gym. Yeah, you exactly know, I right. Inf- sorry, I don't enforce that. Yeah, and that yeah. We, we spoke about that. I think it was like episode one or even episode two. We spoke about culture, new versus old, and, and that definitely came up. So so go back and listen to that if, if you want to hear that discussion. But another one, uh, for example, that I didn't know was a thing. At some gyms, you are required to wear a rash guard under your gi if you're training in in the gi that's stupid i I didn't know that was a thing apparently it's a hygienic thing because a friend of mine who trains at another gym that is enforced that's their rule and uh so so things like that you need to just do just in case yeah i mean look if you're traveling you should probably have a rash guard with you anyway Mm. right you should have your no gi stuff with you anyway so if they tell you to put it on put it on yeah but i mean i'm not a doctor but you know is is it more hygienic to wear a rash guard? Oh, I don't know. Man. Like I feel like I feel like if the gym was so dirty that you're gonna get ringworm or staff something, like the rash guard ain't stopping it. Maybe you it's know? a comfort thing. Like, but I, I also know. find it weird. I know of gyms that 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 enforce that. But you can't compete with a that's rash guard. Right. You're not allowed to compete. So I never wear rash. my rash guard under my gi to to condition for competing. Cause yeah, because like then, then all of a sudden you compete without the rash you guard feel and weird. you feel, feel weird. Yeah, it throws right? you off. It's like yeah. if you always wear a mouth guard, never, you're yeah. always going to wear a mouth guard on the, on, on the competition scene yeah. as well. It's, it's the same. So, I, yeah, I find that real weird. I, I, I believe, you know, unless, uh, you know, uh, a, a doctor or someone or a dermatologist or something wants to chime in and tell me otherwise. I don't think it is any more hygienic. You know, as long you know, it's the gym owner's responsibility to make sure the mats are clean and the environment's clean and the yeah. the students wash their gi. Yeah. Um, so outside, just a ploy to sell more rash guards. I <laughs> but outside of that, sorry. yeah. Outside of the basics, like you know, bring bring a, a clean gi, bring yeah. your no I gi th- kit. I think like I don't want to. Sp- mention every unspoken etiquette rule because that that could take a while like you said you're not supposed to ask higher belts to roll and um you know uh, things like that i think there's if you just want to keep it simple yes two main things firstly is um you should by default this is for now i mean if you're listening to this episode in 10 years time right who knows what the rule set is then and what the norm is but as of 2021, I would say, look, by default, assume that the gym follows the IBJJF rules. Mm-hmm. IBJJF is slowly becoming less relevant, but I mean, it's just a safer rule set to follow unless you're told otherwise. You don't want to be a white or a blue belt and go in and start trying to do heel hooks and leg reaps and these techniques that are, are restricted to lower belts in IBJJF rules, right? If they tell you otherwise, then cool. But even like absolute MMA, that what some of the best leg lockers in the world, they only allow people to start doing leg locks from blue belt and up, right? So, I mean, just assume they follow those rule sets unless you're told otherwise, right? The second thing as a sweeping statement is just, I mean, it's super outdated in my opinion, but just kind of assume that you, you're, <laughs> I mean, you're almost not allowed to interact with higher belts yeah like i mean i know that's a broad statement but i'm trying to cover all extremes if you visit some gym that is super old school man like you're not allowed to roll with higher belts you're you're not allowed to you know you have to you have to greet when you when you arrive in the gym you have to greet everyone in order of belts so like you have to greet the head instructor first and then you can't say you know just say in between the head instructor and a brown belt there's a blue belt, you can't greet that blue belt on your way to the brown belt. Like you got to greet everyone in order of belts, right? Like just assume that it's this super outdated, misogynistic, you know, hierarchy system. I'm putting a negative twist on it, but I'm just saying that as a way to to not put your foot in it if you visit a gym that is that right. super old school mentality. And I think I'll, you know, in my limited experience, but I will add one thing that may seem obvious and adds you can you can chime in on this, but I think going back to the basics, if you're going to visit a gym, contact the gym first. Like Yeah, probably, I mean, it's probably, not a bad idea, yeah. right? I mean, you know, yeah, 
uh, and assume that there, there, there may be a mat fee. I know that some gyms do charge a mat fee. Bring that just in case. Yeah, for sure. I just, mean, it's a business, right? Yeah, like yeah. you can't, you can't just walk into a uh, anytime fitness, which yeah, in Australia lifting. is like a, a, a workout gym. Yeah, you can't just walk in and be like, yeah, cool. I'll just do a work a workout. Man, they, they they're a business. They got bills to pay. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Sometimes if you're visiting a gym that's from the same team mm. that you're from, they might let you train for free or give you a discount, but don't assume, right? Yeah. Just because they're from the same team, they might just be a small gym and maybe mm. they only opened not long ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like contact the owner, bring a mat fee or ask them about the mat fee and be early. You know, all, all of that really just basic etiquette and good manners. Common, that may seem common sense. Make sure you tick all those boxes. Don't yep. piss anyone off. And then when you're there, follow Ad's advice. Yep. Assume that uh, if you're a white belt, you're you're less than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know it's super outdated. Like you know, and and that's why a lot of these etiquette unspoken rules, my students don't know them yep. <laughs> because I, I don't really enforce them at all. I'll mention them every now and again. Yes, you know, but um, even something, for example, you might not know this, Kieran, because we never do it, but. Um, when we're doing the classic running in a circle, warming up, right? You're supposed to do that in belt in order. order too. Yeah, yeah. We almost never do it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, just- and the, the warm-ups in the lines. Like sometimes I, yeah, like if, should if there's be a blue belt, too, like yeah. if I'm standing next to a blue belt or a purple belt or whatever, I'll obviously move behind them. But it, it's not like you go out of your way to make sure that, oh, everyone's in stripe order, everyone's yeah. in belt Like order. I'll mention stuff every now and again, but it's more for the benefit of-, of Yes, of my students if they travel and train etiquette. somewhere yep. else. I The reason I don't enforce the etiquette in the gym is because I spend more time in just educating my students on being uh, like good people and training yeah. partners that all the other stuff is becomes redundant. Yeah, I have yeah. to agree with that. Um, cool. So we do have one more question. Uh, this question is from Alex who is a blue belt. What is the most important factor for progressing in BJJ? Learning techniques, drilling, rolling, studying, YouTube videos, or competing? Or is a great coach the key? It's a great question good, from good Alex. Good question. I mean, having a great coach is going to help a lot, mm. right? <laughs> but what is the most important thing? Oh, man. I don't know. Like, I think... <laughs> Jiu-jitsu is such a difficult sport with so much to learn. I think the most – there's so many different ways to learn. Is one better than the other? It's going to depend on the individual, right? Some people are much more visual. They're going to learn – I forget the scientific words for the different – Like visual, auditory, Yeah, exactly, uh, kinetic, right? Yeah. yeah, so some people are going to learn more by watching. Some people are going to learn more by doing. So, so that's up to you as the individual. Um, I think – the most important like thing you can do to progress is have discipline and turn up, right? right. Like, like it's, it's time on the mats. You people sometimes go, oh, I'm unmotivated. Well, man, screw motivation. Motivation comes and goes. You have to be disciplined. So showing up to class consistently. Showing up to class, right? Yeah, being consistent, right, is always that, – that's the, the most important thing in terms of which way you learn – it's going to depend on the individual, but I will just add on to it that I think competing is super important. I don't mean you have to be a competitor, but the analogy I always give is if you need to compete every now and again just to just to keep yourself in check. If you don't compete, it's kind of like being on a, a casual, you know, soccer team and you but you never actually play a game of soccer. You know, like you only just turn up to training and you train to play soccer, but you never play a match of soccer. Like, I mean, you've you got to compete every now and again. If you're not a competitor, that's cool. You know, you just into jujitsu for the hobby side of it. Compete once a year or something. You know, I think it's important. Right. But so, more importantly, just discipline turning up. So if we were to pick, say, for example, you have two individuals, everything's equal across the board. They both train consistently as many times per week one of them in their spare time you know maybe once or twice per week watches um, a, a couple of youtube instructionals or works their way through a bjj uh, fanatics instructional or whatever something like that um, and then the other one is you know competing twice a year would you would you say that the person that's competing twice a year would progress 
would benefit more from that than watching uh, a, a YouTube video or two a week? If the only variable is that, like, you know, because obviously it could be a lot of variables, but yeah, if the, if the only variable is that one is watching some instructionals and the other's competing, in my opinion, the guy competing, guy or girl competing is going to progress more. Right. And I, I would just say from personal experience as a white belt, after I've, I've competed three times, um, unfortunately all the other competitions that I've signed up for had been postponed and cancelled due to uh, the COVID situation in Australia at the moment as, as of this recording. But I've competed three times and after every single time, there is always a realignment of my own, not just ego, but my own uh, training intensity. So when you come back to the mats after a comp, you really understand, okay, this is maybe maybe I thought I was training hard, but I'm not. You weren't. I'm yep. not training hard at all. I'm not training with the, the same intensity uh, and – yeah, there's a. You got to be reminded of that. Oh yeah, like yeah. You know, you can do jujitsu for a, ho- a hobby and do it casually, and that that's all well and good. But if you want to look at the sport, the sport it is a it is a full contact combat sport. You know, it's hard, right? If you're looking at the this the sport itself, and competition reminds you of that. Right. So be consistent. Show up to class and compete a couple times, even yep. if you're not. A quote-unquote competitor. Yep. Awesome. Thank you very much to Alex for that question. And thanks to everyone that uh, submitted yeah, their thanks questions. thanks for those questions, guys. They were good. You know, yeah. could, obviously even just one of those questions, you could, you could do a whole yeah. episode just talking about the the one question. Yeah. Um, so they were good questions. I think uh, I believe we're going to do that again in the future, right? And yeah, absolutely. And sort of be a, a little bit of a recurring episode. Yes. So uh, – Ask a Black Belt Q&A would definitely be a reoccurring segment. If you have a question that you want uh, us to talk about on the show, if you want Adam to to answer or or what have you, feel free to submit your questions to the show at Adam's uh, personal uh, gym Instagram at uh, Alliance, Alliance Sydney, Alliance Sydney BJJ. BJJ. Always forget the order. Alliance <laughs> Sydney BJJ. And uh, you can always hit me up on my personal Instagram as well at Kieran Lefebvre. Um, pretty easy to find, lol. Uh, <laughs> K-I-E-R-E-N and Lefebvre is L-E-F-E-V-R-E. We're going to establish a podcast-specific social media channel soon. So you'll be able to uh, outreach to that specifically. Uh, but for them, until then. Until then, guys. I don't know. Stay fresh, I guess. <laughs> Stay daisy fresh. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, feel free to leave us a review on your streaming platform of choice and to follow us on your streaming platform of choice. Do it. Thanks for listening. Later. Later.